I don't care because... I always wanted to be Captain America! Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude, dude. Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. Normally in combat, Captain America would relish odds of five to one. Today, however, thoughts of his long dead pal Bucky cloud his mind. But as his attackers force the issue, the depression fades through the sheer joy of physical combat. All right, who's next? And now, here's the dudes. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Welcome to the Legion of Dudes podcast. This episode is going to be Captain America Part 2. Folks, we're going to be doing issues 15 to 25 to finish up the giant omnibus you have. But first, introductions. This is Adam Umack. Make sure you check us out at legionofdudes.com. We've got audio blogs up there. We've got interviews. We've got awesome footage from Comic-Cons and photos and all kinds of good stuff. And also you can check out our uh, sister podcast, Half Hour Wasted, from uh, that site as well. Joining me tonight, I have assembled the Legion of Dudes, my friends. We have... Jim Dietz, America's Radio Sweetheart. We have Russell Latham, Boy Detective. We have Ken Morgan, Raccoon Enthusiast. And Mr. Johnny M., David Carradine's very own spotter. Hello, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Hi. Howdy. What's happening, What's happening guys? Hey, shout out to The Fixer for uh, we were podcast of the week last week, guys. Boom. Race the roof. Captain America number one, uh, podcast of the week on The Fixer. Nice. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Those guys are. Uh, Definitely on point. So we want to thank uh, you know Daryl and Umar and everybody over at uh, there, and also Lori over at Comic Book Roadshow for giving us a shout out. We appreciate that. Let's see. In the world of dude news, I have a few thank yous to um, Unleash Upon the World. I'm sure Ken Morgan will inevitably play some sound clips to further embarrass me. But um, I want to thank uh, uh, Mr. Bob Breetall from the Comic Book Page podcast. Amber, the superhero stylist, be sure to check out her YouTube channel for comic book reviews. Mr. Corey Strode, Solitaire Rose himself, along with June Bob Kim and three other guys from Texas, Bill, Frank, and Bill, I think it was. I forget. Uh, Mr. Dave Kraft, Renee Alvarado, a.k.a. Dark BX, most definitely. And um, our good buddy Mike Schwartz from the Oceanverse comic, as well as Lenny Cooper. Um, I had entered a, a contest to win a sketch slash pseudo commission from uh, Mr. Ethan Van Skyver and... The contest was you had to sing Break My Stride. You know the terrible 80s song? Well, I, I did this along with about, I think it was five other guys. I did this very terribly, and through the magic of the internets, uh, I was able to secure first place. And I wanted to thank everybody that voted. And, oh, oh yeah, Ken too. Ken voted. And, you know, that was very awesome of you. So um, I am sure that, well, this song that I had to sing on the internet will probably haunt me for the rest of my life if not up until my retirement and ultimate death. So as long as my age graders don't get a hold of this, I think I'll be fine. But I'm sure this – Ken, you just want to play it. I mean, it's terrible. I don't have it queued up. I'm going to spare you that, but we'll edit it in or something. We'll outro it. Yeah, it'll be our outro. There you go. Look at it this way. Yeah. You might be it's almost Lovecraftian. <laughs> at least you won. Right. Because if you lost, then that's being haunted. 
That I guess so. Yeah, because then you were acting like a fool and didn't get anything out of it. This is nothing to brag about, trust me. But like, this is the equivalent, Jim. And I know, like, um, I'm only glad that nobody um, gonna train my how. Oh no, I got to stay a villain. Ain't nothing gonna break your will. Your daddy Martin's buried underground. Oh no, I got to stay a villain. This is the equivalent, Jim, if you were to have met Alan Moore, shake his hand, and perhaps comb through his beard for several hours. Like, this is, this is my Everest. So, well, well not for nothing. I, had, I spent some time with uh, Ethan Van Skyver in New York uh, last year and shook his hand and talked talk comics and my Bound Gallery. And heck, Brad and Frank, and they got him on speed dial. So, uh, well, hey, good for you. He's a, yeah, he's a good guy. We met him at uh, Wizard World Texas and me, Brad and Frank. And, um, June Bob talked to him for, for quite some time while he was trying to rush through some sketches to catch his plane and not be late. So, yeah, just a, just a contract. Very cool, dude. And, and if your uh, total personal dignity is worth a sketch to you, then by God, go for it. Now, this, is, this isn't a sketch. This is like a full commission you would normally like, charge like 200 bucks for, right? Oh, I wouldn't say 200 but... <laughs> well, no, his, his, his like, little, at, little more, at cons, it's, yeah. you know, a head... You know, a head's a hundred bucks. A full body's two hundred. So, is he going to give you a full ain't colored thing, or like what's what's? Yeah, he. Um, I, I I don't know what the dimensions are. I mean, I'll obviously you know do backflips with whatever. And this is coming from someone who has done no physical exercise since middle school himself. Um, what I would tell you is, um, I got him to do a recreation of Green Lantern Rebirth, uh, the trade cover, only with Sinestro instead of Hal. So that's pretty awesome. So. Thanks to everybody, Bob, comic book page, uh, Mike, everybody. You know, that was just uh, definitely too cool. Daryl, all the guys. So, yeah, uh, I've been to the mountaintop, my friends. Uh, it's all downhill from here. So let's get to know each other. Wait, uh, wait, I just want to say one thing. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very happy that you got a full body commission because I wouldn't want to think that you were singing for Ed. Um. <laughs> it's a family show. We're going to have to bring out the, uh, the Dick Grayson horn on that one. <laughs> Like I said, downhill. Before we get into Captain America, let's do some questions and stuff. Russ, uh, you got your list up there, man? Yeah, I have, I have one ready. We'll go through another. Again, we're, we're kind of working through Sean, Sean Pryor's list uh, still. So first question is, this will be a quick one. What was your first video game console? For me, it was Pong. Yes, I date back that far, Pong. And I was happy to have it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Around ninety six, ninety seven, eighty six, eighty seven. Now, Russ, I got to ask you: Was it actually called Pong, or was it some other thing that just happened to play Pong type games? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't remember. I know it did Pong. It did something that we called J Lay, which um, I was correct my father many times to be called <laughs> Highlight. Um, and it, I did. I think it was like either soccer or there's like four games on it you know okay. it had the it had the little switch that you flip See, that, that sounds similar to what i had my first one was something called the magnavox odyssey it had four variations of pong on it two little wired paddles that just you know spun and you had your basic pong uh two-player pong pong up against the wall hockey and something else i can't imagine what they called it but it had a little selector switch dial so you pick which game you wanted Hooked up to the good old fashioned RF modulator in the back of your TV with the uh, yep. the little barrel with the two rabbiters winning the screws and uh, yeah that was uh, uh, that was I it was specifically though it was a Magnavox Odyssey as my first one yeah ours it didn't even have wired controllers it was like a box 
and literally me and my brother, my my younger, I have two younger brothers, but my my next younger brother is only less than two years um, younger than me. So the two of us were able to play sitting next to each other and literally just you know had to sit elbow to elbow. Oh, so it was all part of the machine. Yeah, these at least kind of pulled out, so you had some some room between each other. No, not that sophisticated. Cool. That's that's the exact same kind of we had. Russ ours was the Coleco Telstar. And, uh, the, pad- the paddles were built uh, right into the thing, and there it was all one unit, and you had to sit next to whoever you were playing and hold on to the same thing. And we'd uh, I remember playing against my sisters and like yank the controller away from them to try to get them to miss and stuff. And, yeah, the Coleco Telstar. I clearly remember the Pong that you speak of, but I don't think it was mine. Um, the first one I remember is Atari 2600. All right. So the next one, I think this could even be a show in and of itself, but I think we'll just have to, we'll have to keep it brief so we move, move things along. But the question is, in your opinion, has the Internet improved or damaged what we call entertainment? And my answer is both. Um, I think in some ways it's improved because it gives people more information, more knowledge. They're able to make better choices. They're able to be exposed to things they normally wouldn't. But I say it damages it because I also think it's an avenue for people to just be moronic um, at times and, you know, just rail and shout and be negative. And, and, I, and I think sometimes the, the magic of, of, you know, growing up and, you know, going to the shop every week and just picking stuff up based on look and touch and feel is kind of gone, you know. But I think, you know, again, part of that is the, is, is the good side, too, because as the hobbies become more expensive, you know, having more information gives you uh, the ability to make a better choice. So, I say both. Um, I'm going to go with yes. I mean, I couldn't imagine uh, not knowing why narwhals, bacon, and any libertarian view is hilarious uh, because of Reddit. So, that's a yes. I don't know if it's gotten better or worse. Change, different, certainly. Um, Russ, I kind of agree with you in that, uh, you know, information is, is always available to you with uh, things like, you know, Hulu and YouTube and, and other outlets. There's always something to watch or some kind of entertainment at your fingertips for a little more than the cost of your high-speed internet connection. On the other hand, there's no surprises anymore. Uh, I, I think like to the original Batman movie, 1989, other than you know the commercials we may have seen on TV, I didn't know anything about it until I saw it in the theaters. Um, I can basically tell you the entire plot of Iron Man 2 just about a year away from it being released. So it's, uh, it, it's good and bad. It's, it's both. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I really appreciate being able to find things that I never would have found without the internet, um, whether it be information or a physical book or movie or things that I couldn't, you know, just get my hands on um, without the use of Amazon or, or whatever, eBay. Just, you know, it opened up so many different ways of, of getting stuff that you normally wouldn't. Um, so I guess I lean more towards yes, but I do agree that like the spoiling and like the message board communities as a whole, um, you know, for the most part, I should say, obviously like the CGS forum is kind of like an anomaly for some reason. It doesn't get like real nasty or stupid or anything, but I, I, I will lean towards the yes end of it. I'd have to say overall that I think entertainment has improved because of the internet. I mean, speaking as someone who remembers back before VCRs and back when... 
you know, your copy of Electronic Gaming Monthly was like the only information you would get about video games for a whole month. And you'd have to read it and reread it and, you know, soak up every bit, you know, nugget of information out of there, you know, to try to figure out what, you know, what would be best for you, you know, or what game you would enjoy, you know, enjoy or whatever. Now, I mean, I can get 20 different reviews before it even hits the shelf. I think that's better. You know, I understand the point you're making about spoilers and whatnot, but, I mean, and I had the same experience with... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when it first came out. Um, I had read about it in Starlog. They literally, I remember it was like a one-column blurb about Lucas and uh, Spielberg getting together and making a movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark, and there was nothing else they could tell us about it. And just, you know, being mystified and, and then walking into the theater and having that experience. But then again, I mean, I never thought I'd be able to have, you know, pretty much every television show I remember from my childhood pretty much at my fingertips and, you know, 30 seconds away from watching for free on YouTube or Hulu or, you know, I got, uh, surf the surf the channel or whatever. So uh, I think for the, it's, it's different, certainly, but overall for the better. Not to mention this fantastic podcast that you're listening to right now would not be possible without the Internet. Yay, Internet. Woo! Whoever put that series of tubes together, jeez. Well, that'll be Al Gore. Thank Al Gore. Yeah. Right. All right. So we will continue to work through these um, questions. There are still, believe it or not, many, many more um, in future episodes. So maybe by the time we hit episode 100, we'll have finished all the questions from episode six. We're going to do 100? <laughs> not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> tonight we're doing right. 15 through 25. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, ready to talk some cap yeah this uh i think russ this is going to be the uh, cap gauntlet the uh every every time i finish an omnibus it definitely seems like just a huge uh relief to put it back on the bookshelf after having it in my lap for how many hours you know yeah it kind of had a funny i've been kind of tracking it too on the uh on the internet um and the price seems to be fluctuating wildly it's like one day you look and there's you know folks selling used copies on amazon marketplace for a hundred bucks and the next day you look and it's like sixty nine ninety five. So it just it's kind of weird, but it definitely seems, seems to be trending um, on the higher end. So I hope that maybe Marvel seasoned the wisdom and, and going back to press on it um, and giving another print so that you know folks aren't paying absorbent prices to just get their hands on it. So, so we finished we finished off last time with um, we finished up Winter Soldier. So we went through the first fourteen issues. Um, this week we're going to talk about 15 through 25. We'll talk a little bit about Civil War when it's appropriate to jump in with that. Um, and that'll conclude our discussion on, on the Omnibus version 1. So I guess we'll jump right in with 15. Um, and again, we start with kind of these, you know, I love, I love how we've stayed consistent. So every time there's, you know, flashbacks or things that happened in the past, especially the World War II stuff, we get the black and white, um, you know, footage going on and, and actually when we get a um, few pages in we'll, we'll find out even more so why why that's the case so this this issue um, the arc is called red is the darkest color and we'll we'll definitely find out why but I love how we start again with this flashback you know it seems like whenever there's a cap story there's always going to be a flashback somewhere to World War II and this issue is no exception but but I always love how there's a reason for it um, you know not just a flashback to, to fill pages or just to tell stories well, this technically married. isn't even a flashback, is it? It's a um, he's showing uh, Sin uh, the actual film right. on the wall, right. so it's not actually a flashback. Is that, is right. that what you mean? Right. 
Yeah, and that's what's cool about, you know, the way that, that this was done, because when you, you know, first open the book and you start reading it, you just think it's another, you know, again, it's black and white, just like we've seen in the first 14 issues, and it looks like another flashback. And then when we get, you know, three pages, you know, down, we see that it's, it, you know, four pages down, we see that it, it's Crossbones who, at, who in the last arc, was able to kidnap Finn, who is the Red Skull's daughter, and has her tied up and is showing... Uh, is showing her, you know, what's been going on uh, in the in the past for her to look at, and she's kind of fight fighting it right now. You know what so I thought was a, a real nice touch, it, real simple, but I think I just noticed it this last reading. I like the way the panels are rounded, the corners are rounded, so it gives it the effect of a projector footage. You know, like that's the way a projector would project on a wall or a screen. It would have rounded edges, not like squares. I thought it was a nice just, touch. Yeah, and then the footage is, it looks distressed, too. It's like they've take, you know, taken a concerted effort to make it look like, you know, it's been through the projector for the past, you know, 60 years. And it, you know, it's got wear and tear and, you know, scrap lines and whatnot on it. Yeah, this, uh, this uh, issue is uh, as crossbones is deprogramming us and it's kind of the secret origin of sin as well it kind of explains to you know new readers as well as you know old readers the history of this character uh where you know where she came from why she has been reprogrammed by shield and a lot of other things as well is this a character kind of like where has she been kind of like the spider baby like or has she, i mean has she been like established in the 80s or 90s as you know a force for for good or for ill i think she's brand new isn't she for this? No, no. I think she was in Cap before. In fact, we talk in this issue a little bit later when she, when Crossbones is like explaining to Sin why she was older and then she was younger. He explains the whole part about when she was older. He thought she was pretty hot and stuff, and uh, that I'm pretty sure that was all from Cap before. Okay. Yeah, I seem to remember Red Skull's daughter being being in here or being in the past at some point. And, you know, typical Brew Baker. He's bringing you know bringing up everything. Everything is old is new again. So he's, he's, that's been his kind of M.O. for this whole series that we'll see. But it, it, it's interesting, you know, they kind of have the sequence, you know, where he's, he's being pretty brutal to her to try and get her to, you know, literally snap out of it. But, you know, in doing so, he's kind of beating the crap out of her to, to get her to, to, to remember who she is and to, to go back to who she was, which is, you know, the Red Skull's daughter, and she needs to live up to that legacy. Yeah, not only is he, like, trying to deprogram her, but he's almost, he's trying to reprogram her to be faithful to him as well. Yeah, so. yeah like both going on at, at the same time you know he's approaching it from both angles and inevitably you know they've got this kind of weird bonnie and clyde relationship going on too you know and that's actually happening with a couple kryptonians in action comics now versus uh chris kent and thunderbird more like mickey and mallory than bonnie and clyde i'd say yeah that's true well i'm just talking about you know the whole crime spree end of things you know they later become you know a little involved with each other and, and stuff yeah so we go back because many years ago, not sure exactly at this point how many years this is, and we see that, you know, the baby was born, and it's almost like we get this weird, like, twisted Lion King moment, almost, you know, where he's holding the baby up, and, you know, instead of holding it up for praise, it's, like, dark, and there's lightning, and there's, you know, waves crashing. Um, his first instinct is to even kill the child, because it's a, it's a, it's a girl and not a boy, and, um, you know, so this kind of feeds into the whole Red Skull, you know, master race, you know, uh, you know, chauvinism, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, where the first the first heir should be male and 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 all that going on. And the woman convinces him that, you know, no, he should you know, he should keep the child and 
skull gives in and basically says yes as long as she can, you know, have a rough life like I do. So basically she needs to, to, to go through and have the same kind of upbringing and, and hardship that, that he had while he was growing up. And she basically says she'll, she'll make it happen. I have um, a little Wikipedia action going on here. Seems that she was uh, Cynthia Schmidt. She was introduced in 1984, Captain America number 290, but as Mother Superior. So I guess they kind of played with the character a little bit. She subsequently a- appears as Sin in 355 of Captain America in 89. So they kind of revamped the character once for the late 80s, but she has been around before. Yeah, so that would have been, what, probably Roger Stern's run when she was created, then Jim and Grunwald's run when she kind of came to prominence. Sounds about right, and I think that's the run that's um, referred to in here when Crossbones is going over the history uh, to Cynthia yeah. of her own uh, her own past that she can't remember. Yeah. It actually says right. that she was created by J.M.D. Mateus and Paul Neary. Okay, so it was the D. Mateus run, not the... Turner. That would have been after the Grunwald run, yeah. Um, D. Mateus did write it after Grunwald, I'm pretty sure. No, before. So You're Grunwald right, sorry. Picked, yeah, yeah, Grunwald, after Stern, before Grunwald. Thank you for that, for the... For the and we know if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. Must be true. It's got to be true. So again, we get the cut back to the to the present, and Skull is again roughing up, thin, and throws in the room, handcuffed, and kind of as she hits the floor, it's starting to come back to her. You know, her shield deprogramming. She's starting to have have recollections and memories of that, and then realizes that you know Crossbones actually is probably true. What are you saying? So then they start going through some, we get some training sequences of the two of them, you know, interacting. Um, she's, you know, kind of confused because she, she doesn't feel like she has the skill, but she knows better. And then I think we get this incarnation, the character that we're seeing on the next few pages, um, is, is kind of that call back to the, uh, to the run that John was just mentioning in the past. And then we get the crossbones kind of keeps chiding her on, chiding her on, and then finally says, you know, he's not fit to be the skull's daughter. She gets hacked off, throws the knife, and boom, it, it's right on the spot, which is the picture of Cap. And I think Crossbones is starting to see that it's, you know, the deprogramming is working. Uh, yep. she, tries, she tries to turn on him, and uh, and he's able to, to counter counteract her. She's got it in her, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Then he has Night Watchmen from where, when they broke her out, he has, her, has him captured, wants her to shoot him. Um, she's still not quite there yet, so she doesn't do it. So Crossbones goes to shoot him. She kind of reacts, you know, negatively, saying he didn't have to do that, and he basically knocks her out. So again, this whole then we get, you know, the next page is it, again we get this brutality, you know, where you know he, he punched her in the face, knocked her out, dragged her into a pool of of water, and uh, and starts to basically give her water torture, where he's trying to drown her and and you know, kind of snap her out of it. And again, Ross, Ross, that's not torture. Come on. That's not torture. That's, <laughs> that's enhanced interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> to the nth degree. Then, uh, you know, so, so again, she, you know, she kind of sees, sees it at the end here and kind of snaps out of it. And then I guess at the end of the issue here, we get what could be considered, I, I guess, what would you call the Stockholm syndrome at, at, on the last page? When, oh, she's, yeah, having feelings for her captor. Yeah. And then some. Yes, those are feelings. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, kind of a one-off issue where, you know, not nothing, you know, we don't get much Cap, we don't get much, you know, Bucky, we don't get much anything else going on, but, you know, this important issue to kind of 
you know, touch back what, what we haven't seen for a while was, you know, we see Crossbones when he took Skull's daughter and then, you know, we didn't get a lot of that for a couple of issues. And so now we've dedicated an issue to coming back to it. Something that's kind of noticeable and I really noticed it in the second half of this uh, story arc is that Brubaker is putting all the chess pieces on the table, you know, and he's kind of backing it up with a little bit of backstory so we know where they're all coming from, what their motivations are and why they're there. We have, we have the Red Skull, we have Lucan, we have the Crossbones, we have Sin. As the uh, story goes on, we'll also see Dr. Faustus, Arnim Zola. These are oh, all yeah. like very, these are all very like uh, classic cap heroes, or um, I'm sorry, classic, cla- classic cap enemies. And he's moving them all onto the board for the ultimate culmination of the climax of, of you know what we all know happens in 25. And yeah. it's just really cool to see him, you know, place the building blocks here that are going to pay off in such a, a great way later. Definitely have like a, a Typhoid Mary vibe from her too. I know that's, you know, apples and oranges with uh, Daredevil villains and stuff too, but definitely she's got <laughs> she's got the, uh, the homicidal tendencies in her, most definitely. What's interesting to me, real quick on this issue, is when you take it in a, in a vacuum, you know, if you're reading the book monthly and, and you can't wait to get your new Captain America story... And you run to the store and pick this one up. You must have been like, "Holy crap!" You know, it's basically Crossbones beating the crap out of Sin for thirty pages, and then they do it at the end. You know, it's it's you know in the omnibus, it kind of I don't want to say it didn't fit as a single issue, but in the omnibus, you know, then you kind of keep going and you get your Captain America and stuff, and you're okay. But as a monthly one, you know, kind of like a one shot, it must have been. Um, it would be interesting to read the comments. Yeah, no, I agree. Because, again, but it's, you know, it's something that Brubaker does later. It's like, again, you have an issue of Cap that doesn't start Cap, you know, yet, yet comes across and is done very, very well. So issue 16 starts off, you know, pretty much, the, this arc is called Collision Courses, so it'll be the issue 16, 17 will be Collision Courses, and it just starts off right, you know, right with a bang. We get Crossbones and Sin breaking into to a bank, robbing it, and they're just basically just shooting and killing everybody that comes across and blowing stuff up and mayhem and chaos and, and everything else going on. So, it's, again, we, we kind of saw where she turned the corner at the end of the last issue, and in this issue we see that she's, you know, totally gone. You know, the wagons are off the wheel, and she's all in at the start of seven, at the start of 16 here. Definitely Mickey and Mallory. Now that Jim said that, I couldn't put my finger on it, but uh, definitely Natural Born Killers vibe from that whole section. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, there's no no remorse, no you know, no sympathy, no nothing. I mean, it's not just a simple bank robbery. It's media attention and everything else. Yeah, they're having a good time. Exactly. So the next next sequence we get is with uh, Cap and Sharon, and they're aboard a, a shield jet of some sort. And one of the things we we find out here is this is where I mean, Secret War. I don't know if you guys read Secret War, but um, it was a very delayed miniseries that came out and you know the end result of it spoiler alert but not really if you're curious cap at this point is Fury pretty much kind of goes away at the end of Secret War because of what happened um, there and it was just basically a international blunder you know of, a, of an episode that happened so this is kind of where where this leads in so we've seen Fury in the book prominently as, as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. up through here and now we get to 16 and we find out that you know Fury's out He's, he's been replaced, and so this is like directly after after the fallout of Secret War. It looks like this is right around the beginning of New Avengers as well, judging by their dialogue, right? Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I really love the fact that when they end up leaving the helicopter carrier to go uh, look for Bucky, they're in the flying car 
from the 60s that yeah, Nick yeah. Fury used to drive back in the old Steranko Silver Age 60s uh, Shield series. I think that's hilarious and wonderful. Yeah, I had that in my, in my notes for as I was prepping. I was like, there's a flying car again. Can't get it. Again, you know, we talk about Brubaker and, you know, what's old is new again. And he, he's able to, to take these concepts that, you know, were kind of silly and goofy and, and keep them new and fresh. And it doesn't look out of place. And I don't know if it's the art or the style or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, any, you know in any other book, this might look a little goofy or silly, but it, it really works. I gotta say too, Perkins does a really good job of uh, keeping the artistic pace that uh, Epting sets uh, in the uh, issues that he does. It's very, uh, very uh, close to uh, Epting's style, so it isn't jarring in any way to read the. I, I didn't find it that way anyway. You know, reading from one artist to the other. No, I agree. Matt Fraction's been pulling out that flying car in Iron Man as well. I know Fraction and Brubaker are kind of, uh, you know, buddies, so to speak. So maybe there's a real campaign to bring back the flying car. I like it. I'm on board. It was, it was a promise we were made. Somebody needs to keep, uh, keep on it. We, we, we're supposed to have flying cars in the future. <laughs> future is here. It's just um, another example of him honoring the continuity rather than trying to strip it away. I mean, that, like, that flying car has been in Marvel for, you know, what, 50 years now. So Yeah, absolutely. So we see that, that Sharon and and Steve, and I thought this was interesting too. Again, you know, we talk about Captain America not being in a Captain America book. So, you know, we get Steve Rogers and we get Sharon Carter in there, you know, on their mission to go track this Bucky sighting, you know, down. And uh, I think it's interesting that Cap, you know, even though he puts his costume on when they get in the flying car, when they get to their destination, you know, he's back in the civilian outfit, you know, obviously to keep a low profile and, and not uh, draw too much attention. But I, I think it's interesting that in, in the next, especially leading up to you know, to the death of Captain America, that almost like Blue Baker was trying to, to give his hints that still have a cat look without, you know, cat being in the forefront in the costume in the red, white, and blue, that, you know, you could have the, the characters and the mythos and the story and it still be a cat book. So I, I thought that was, was something I noticed as I was reading through this again and leading up to 25 and then beyond. Um, that, that really stuck out for me. So one of the things we find is that as Sharon and Steve are wandering through town, they're very suspicious um, of, of this town and the things just don't seem to be adding up. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, people are too happy and the town of Pillsburg is almost, you know, too perfect, you know, too, um, you know, Ozzy and Harriet or whatever you want to call it. And they're definitely noticing. Given the odd nature of this town, there's no coincidence that Bucky was definitely here. And the giant spider thing. <laughs> that was a tip off too, that things weren't right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll definitely, uh, <laughs> that'll definitely throw you off. If you see a guy with a metal arm beating on a giant metal spider, something's up. Yeah, yeah, something, something weird's going on. And then, funny when you know Steve and Sharon first came to town, they checked in at separate rooms, and as they're you know, they're kind of estranged, and, and so as they're you know being on this mission more, Cap is realizing that uh, you know Bucky truly is, a, is alive after you know what happened at the end of Winter Soldier. You know he kind of disappeared. There was some dust. They weren't sure if he was old, dead or alive. So after, you know, kind of seeing these confirmations in this town, he, it finally clicked with him that, you know, he can, he can celebrate the fact that he's alive and that he's out there and that, you know, the two of them are going to reconnect at some point, be able to continue their friendship. And uh, with that, Steve and Sharon start to get, get close once again. I thought that was yeah. kind of an important scene with Cap going on and on about he's alive and saying how happy he was and that whole scene like as they're walking, whatever. Just to, again, just to build. I think we've ever really seen Steve act like that. You know, certainly not about Bucky, 
So it's really just building the, the tension and, and give you an idea of, of the bond that they have before things move forward. You know, just like a little uh, reaffirmation, you know? Well, and, it, and too, it's, you know, how long has that held, you know, been held over his head? You know, how long has Steve been walking around with that burden knowing that, you know, he's alive and Bucky didn't make it and man out of time and all that kind of stuff? So, you know, knowing the fact that he's still around, he's still alive, kindred spirit. I mean, somebody that has been through exactly what he's been through, which, you know, nobody else has. So, the, you know, the fact that, you know, he's, it's kind of hit him now that, you know, he's been, he's kind of back to himself. He, he has his memories back and everything else, and, it, and they can, you know, get along with each other a lot, you know, kind of pick things up where they, you know, where they were, which, you know, you can't say for, for anybody else he's, he's had an interaction with since he's been thought out. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about, you know, him being a link for Steve as, like, the only person that's, you know, like him or whatever. I mean, you know, what if you find, I mean, it's, it's somewhat of a parallel, you know, not, but not exactly. I mean, what if, you know, Bruce Wayne found out his, you know, his parents were still alive and somewhere else. I mean, what is, you know, as far as the burden he, car- you know, he carries, what does that, what does that do for him? Um, you know, I, I kind of have a, to me, it's a little bit of a parallel with, with Steve and, and Bucky, you know, he's, you know, feeling responsible for, for his death and, and having to live with that. So. Yeah, it's a way that Stan Lee definitely gave a little more depth to the Captain America character in the 60s by instead of having him just be, you know, a rah-rah patriot to have this this pall over him that, hey, you know, the, one of his best friends he lost. And, you know, what to him was just a few days ago, I mean, in, in the 40s, you know. And it, it definitely gave an extra dimension to the Cap character in the 60s. And, I mean, it still carries over now. To keep it family-friendly, and not to get too graphic here, but this moment that even Sharon shared the I mean, do you think this is the moment that kind of comes to light after his death when she finds out that she, she's pregnant? Well, that she's, yeah. that she's told she's pregnant. Well, true, true. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be the moment. I mean, it doesn't happen again, right? So, And you know what I thought when I saw the three uh, <laughs> predators? predators. Yeah. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a predator. Look out. <laughs> Danny Glover, uh, help us. Yeah. Where are you in our hour of need? <laughs> Instead, it's a couple of bucket, bucket heads. Yeah, exactly. so let me get the yeah. bucket head. Well, uh, I think anything, Sharon's pregnancy is certainly a testament to Steve's super serum. <laughs> I say we move on to issue 17 and get off this thin ice. What do you say? Yes, uh, yeah, so more So it's kind of an interesting end of this issue, you know, where um, to, to 16, leading us into 17, that, you know, AIM shows up and instead of being showing up as a villain, they actually break in have help. Yes. And then, so leading into, into 17, we find out that AIM needs his help, that, you know, Crossbow and some crazy girl have taken over their lab, and then the AIM soldier pretty much fills them in that the whole town is nothing but a ruse and a setup for an AIM operation that's taking place underneath the city. Finn and Crossbones have pretty much taken it over, and that they need to go down there and, and reclaim it, which is exactly what they do. I love how it starts with the same panel that 16 ended with only more focused in with with uh steve saying you want to repeat that and they, you know the panel is actually repeated so that was cool yeah yeah so we get a pretty pretty cool fight scene where it's just all out chaos we got aim soldiers fighting aim soldiers we get cap and sharon leading the charge against crossbow and finn mm-hmm. we get of course we get the the return of the modok squad um coming in and then everybody you know it's kind of like you have AIM and Crossbow and Finn fighting against AIM and Cap and uh, Sharon fighting against the, the MODOK squad from the new, uh, it's now Raid. It's, what is it, Radically 
advanced ideas and destruction. Uh, so they, they've racked it up a notch since we've seen them last time. Before it was just aid, and now it's raid. Yeah, it was It was one of those, um, you know, after some of the issues that we've talked about where he kind of like will go an issue without cap or give you some backstory, this one was all out action. Yeah, it was just pretty much, I guess, 16 out of 22 pages of just, you know, a lot of action, a lot of fighting. My favorite moments after the battle is kind of over there. Sharon has this exchange. She says, you know, all these years you never told me how you do that. Cap says, what? Dodge bullets. And Cap's like, oh, that's nothing. I just see faster. And then she goes, you see faster? And that's nothing? <laughs> I have mentioned how inferior you are, right? And he goes several times. She's like, just check so I thought that was kind of a cool, you know, explanation. You know, I, I mean, again, it's probably one of those things that's uh, pretty self-evident, but the fact that, you know, because of his heightened senses and his heightened reflexes and everything else, you know, he would, you know, just kind of like the Flash, I guess, you know, when you're when you're kind of moving faster than everything around you, you know, things, things I would imagine, kind of seem to slow down from your perspective and you're able to, to have that extra time. I want to know how he does those bank shots. You know, when he, he throws, a, <laughs> throws a shield off a wall and catches somebody in the back of the head? He must be totally ace geometry, like like AP geometry or something. <laughs> when he's gonna yeah, that's some Captain Rumoring stuff right there, though. I don't get that either. Oh, well. <laughs> okay, so, so Cap and Sharon go back to um, to the innkeeper, and that's where they start to, to kind of to put things together. And he realizes that, you know, Cap, that Bucky knew who this woman was and why he, you know, there's a specific reason he came here. And we find out that it's the innkeeper, her... It was her mother that, that Bucky was in love with during the war. And so as soon as Steve exposes himself as Cap, you know, she, she kind of relays this information to him. So it, And this is what sparked his memory at the end of 16, um, was that picture in the background of the older woman, which he recognized when she was a younger woman back in World War II. So they've kind of realized, you know, what, what it was Bucky was, was trying to do in coming back to, to this town. So the other thing that we kind of find out here towards the tail end of, of 17 is that Cap thinks that Fury's pulling the strings when it comes to Bucky, and that's what's going on. You know, it doesn't really have any evidence, but it just seems kind of uh, kind of like a Fury thing that, that he would do as they take the flying car back to the health carrier. Kind of makes sense, too, because like we were saying with the whole secret war thing, you know, Fury's probably not thought of very highly right now, and, you know, it just kind of makes sense that he would think Fury would be up to something. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, at the very end of the issue, we go back to Crossbones and Finn, and they were able to get a captured S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and they find out that Lucan was the one that killed the Red Skull. So, while everybody, it, it, it's kind of cool, you know, again, we get to this espionage thriller thing, we've got, everybody is after information. You know, we've got Crossbones and Finn, even though they're causing mayhem and chaos, they're really trying to get to the bottom of, of their, you know, what they're searching for, which is, you know, Crossbones blowing up his skull and, and to find out what happened to him. We get Bucky, who's kind of doing his own thing, trying to, you know, find out what's going on. We get Cap and Sharon. So, again, if you know, if you think of, you know, in terms of, a, you know, espionage thriller type movie, you've got all these different, you know, pieces and factions that are all, you know, kind of furthering their own agendas here. So I, I like how, you know, Blue Baker keeps that to the forefront to make sure we're, you know, everybody is. Every, you know, all the, all the pawns and the pieces are, you know, keep, uh, stay in play and, and move forward. Plus, the ironic part is that Crossbones and Sin want to go kill Lucan for killing the Red Skull. And actually, Lucan is the Red Skull now, right? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the most awesome part of the whole thing. Gotta love that Cosmic Cube. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what I want back from my youth, my Cosmic Cube. <laughs> <laughs> 
wrong episode. <laughs> it's tough, it's tough uh, recording two in one night. They kind of bleed into each other. That's what they call in the business a callback. Yeah. Do you think uh, the comparisons between Lucan and Tony Stark are, are valid as far as like, you know, these guys in charge, you know, uh, uh, Lucan's in charge of Krona. Uh, what is it? Kronak, Kronos, whatever. And, you know, he's in, and Tony's in charge of Stark International. I just think that, uh, you know, the whole man in the mask thing, you know, of, of course, applies differently to both Tony and to Lucan. But I, I definitely like how uh, Brubaker plays around with this kind of like dueling banjos that is uh, the red skull in his head and Lucan's own thoughts that he's actually speaking out loud. I mean, like Lucan doesn't have thought bubbles here. You know what I mean? Like he actually does have word balloons. He is he is speaking. Yeah. Oh, at the beginning of 18. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we didn't go in there. I was going to wait till we got to, got there because I'm looking at the cover to 18 right now. And I first look at this, I think, and if you're going to draw Captain America standing tall with his chest kind of puffed out, like, you know, all macho, that's how you do it. Not the way we saw that picture last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I love the, you know, the moving on to 18. A, we get Epping back on the art, which is awesome. Um, but again, like we said, you know, because, and I, I truly believe it's the coloring that's kept, kept it consistent, but we haven't really noticed um, as much the PR changes. They're not drastic, um, and they're a lot more consistent. So I'm sticking by my my analysis that it's, it's the Armada's colors that uh, that really are the glue that bind the style together. But, it's you know, it's interesting. We get 21st Century Blitz. That's the name of the arc, which I think is a cool title for a cap arc. And then we get... This, this American character standing at the at the front, the forefront, and we get the Union uh, Jack in the background with, I guess, Big Ben in the background as, as well. So I think it was kind of a cool, it's a cool layout for a cover. I definitely uh, just to go back to what Adam was saying. Definitely cool with um, talking to himself and the Red Skull talking in his head, and he, you know, looking in the rearview mirror. Um, well, I guess that's the end of the issue before. He looks in a rearview mirror and he sees the skull, you know, in the rearview mirror rather than himself. And just that first, when the, the title page that says 21st Century Blitz, he's like rolling down the window and it's the red skull back there. I mean, that's just a, that's a creepy looking red skull. Epting, Very. yeah, Epting does it right. Yeah, I love the couple pages before where as he's rolling the window down, you get these three panels of, you know, the, the back and forth conversation going on um, as they're trying to recruit this this new soldier um, in, and of course everything goes back to somebody's relative that knew somebody back in the war. But as the window rolls down, we see the reflection that Lucan sees as the skull in the in the window. Yeah, and it you know it mirrors, so that's really cool. And then to see that again, that you know the recap page or whatever, that is just an awesome image of the of the skull. So here we see that he's actually you know put the mask on over Lucan's face as he's as he's talking to the, to the new recruit. See, I didn't know about. I wasn't sure about that. I, because, like, if you look at just the page before, it's... Well, what do you think of the silhouette when the guy's looking in the window and you get the silhouette of Luke and looking out? You think that's a Red Skull silhouette? Or you think it's just his regular face? Just kind of looking at it compared to the uh, the shots of, of Luke and himself. You, know, you can just see the brow ridge and even the jaw lines. It's a little different from what we've yeah. seen before. Yeah, because so. I was, I was kind of thinking, like, maybe... It was that he put the mask on, like maybe he's. They were showing just that he's crazy, and you know he is the Red Skull. Like I wasn't sure if he physically did it or if they were just showing it in his perception. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I just wasn't quite sure. I guess it really doesn't matter. But uh, yeah, I, the only I guess the only reason that I said it, or I thought it was that way is because whenever we see it 
normally it's it's always a reflection. Like he sees it in the mirror, he sees it in the glass, he sees it something like that. So for this to be outside looking in, that's what kind of gave it away from or led me to believe that it's it's he put, he actually put the mask on. But right, but yeah, I could definitely see for effect that you know, trying to show that that's how that's how he's carrying himself. So then we cut back, and interesting that the you know this arc again is called Twenty First Century Blitz, which is kind of a callback to the to the Blitz of of London, you know, back in World War Two, which will pay off at the end of the arc. But it starts off where Steve is is landed in London and moving forward, tracking down the lead, and meets up with a character. Actually, he meets up with two characters. One of them is named Joe, and one of them is named Jackie. And as we'll find out, Joe is the new Union Jack. And Jackie is the old World War II Invader Spitfire. These are both characters from the 1970s uh, Invader series that Roy Thomas wrote, um, which uh, chronicled like the adventures of Namor, uh, Cap, and Bucky, and uh, the original Human Torch and Toro. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think the current Union Jack is the grandson of the original. And I know the original Spitfire, she ended up getting her powers from the super soldier uh, blood of... Union Jack, the original Union Jack, and it caused her to have super speed uh, because she had been attacked by Baron Blood, who was one of their, uh, uh, who was a uh, vampire uh, villain of theirs during World War II. So the again, you know, Brubaker is mining continuity and finding these great characters and bringing them back into the forefront. Yeah, it seems like this character is kind of a kindred spirit to to Steve in the fact that she's also you know been kind of put on ice and taken off ice or whatever you want to call it um, throughout the years. And so she's, you know, kind of still the younger, you know, been able to, to, to keep her youth in the current day, even being a part of World War II. I love Union Jack's uh, costume, his character design. I've just, always, I've never read a page of Union Jack, but uh, I always liked his design. He's yeah, got that yeah, stealthy spy ninja, you know, I guess it's pretty similar to like a Deadpool or something. Deadpool, but, yeah, I was just going to say Deadpool. Yeah, I, I think the same thing. It was, it's cool to be able to keep a costume stealthy looking, but yet still, you know, be the symbol of, you know, country, if, you know, keep that, you know, the, the red stripes and everything, but just the darker, the darker background too. So I agree. It's just a really cool, cool way to, to use costume design. One of the other things we find out too is that Bucky has made it to England as well. So again, all the pieces are moving um, on the board and all converging yet again to the same place. And what would a spy thriller type of story be if there wasn't some, boat dockyard that gets uh, staked out and assaulted in the middle of the night. Yes, there must be ship containers. You must have a chase between ship containers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need a Danny Glover and uh, Gibson. <laughs> Something must not add up on the manifest. That's right. I'm getting too old for this. Um, <laughs> and then, I guess, to wrap up the issue, you know, they're running around and <laughs> Union Jack gets a uh, what would you say? He just gets rammed into the steel door or to the one of the crates or whatever. Cap tosses a shield off of, the, off of a couple guys, and then, boom, out of nowhere, this giant Nazi, blonde, <laughs> appropriately enough, with a bunch of weightlifting belts, takes him out, and he says that these guys are the master race. Now, as soon as I saw this Nazi dude at the end of 18, I, I directly went to Fawcett Comics in my brain because this – you know, at least in spirit, and I can't speak to design, but um, this definitely looks like, um, if anybody remembers uh, Captain Nazi, his last appearance was in um, Secret Six of Aliens United for um, the second crisis, but, you know, Captain Nazi was an old supervillain that um, the Fawcett folks made for uh, Captain Marvel, 
And of course, that was you know a part of the old comics and whatnot. And appropriately enough, Captain Nazi's first appearance was in Master Comics, like Master Race, which is why that really, really struck out with, with me. Weird. I mean, and he fought like you know uh, Freddy and 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 Billy and stuff like that. And you know, recently, uh, you know, Black Adam, you know, has has taken out Captain Nazi. But this guy, he just he reminds me of like the strong man uh, in the. Um, airplane takeoff scene from Indiana Jones, you know, with like the huge handlebar mustache on that dude's part. But it's a very cool strong man. And actually this fight, I mean, this goes through the next, you know, issue and a half or so, wouldn't you say, guys? And this is a really long fight, you know, for a mini boss, which I thought was pretty cool too. I saw him. I just yeah, thought of uh, Captain Axis. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a uh, call back to a character, Master Man, uh, who's a foe of uh, Captain America. Only in this there are two of them, so they call themselves the Master Race. Yeah, I'm looking at I Wikipedia again. Do you remember if the, the old master man was Willie Lomer? Because this is Max Lomer, his Willie Lomer's great nephew, but it doesn't say where Willie is from or anything. So Right, but that's the, s- that is the kid who uh, Lucan was recruiting at the beginning of the issue. Right, right. So there's still, again, Brubaker going back in continuity. You know, it used to be Willie Lomer, now it's his great nephew, Max Lomer. And then the, the, the other cool scene we had just, you know, prior to this, you're cut in between the whole skulking around the ships and, and Master Man showing up at the end, is we cut to Dallas and Finn and Crossbone are looking at taking an executive from Roxxon, who again, like we've mentioned before, Roxxon is like the, one of the big conglomerates in the Marvel U. But it cracks me up on that panel, on that page where they find this guy. It's the second panel. Is that me or does that not look like Ned Beatty? That looks exactly like Ned Beatty, the way he's drawn. I agree. <laughs> it just cracks me up. Right out of Superman. Yeah, it just cracks me up. A young, young Ned Beatty. I got your paper, Mister Thor. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he gets taken out, and they kidnap the the main executive on the plane and take off. Then, of course, we see that, or like we we're saying at the end of the issue, it's a big face off between Cap and Masterman. Yeah. Moving on to nineteen. There's that mask. Great cover, by the way, too. This whole the re- respective representatives and symbols of their respective countries on the you know forefront on the cover in action like that is pretty cool. I like that. Definitely. But yeah, that whole first page where we get Lucan surrounded by all the monitors, watching all the video feeds and the mask and the background on the on the table is pretty cool. I like how um not Captain Britain. Who the heck is the guy? Union Jack. Union Jack. Union Jack. I, I don't. I don't know his character very well, but I just like that. You know, Cap is doing his fisticuffs and shield throwing, and and he Union Jack's just kind of firing off handheld weapons and stuff. You know, they, they're just different characters. He's sneaking out from behind corners, shooting his handgun and stuff. And even on the cover, he's you know holding out the gun. And we know Cap, of course, would never use a gun. Not in the modern day. <laughs> right. Right. Not the Steve Rogers Cap. Right. I'm gonna say the new Cap will definitely. Bucky would. Exactly. Yes. Then we get this cool, I love the next, we get, you know, I guess it's the six or seven pages in where we get the countdown. The fire's running to save them. They realize that Lucan, well, somebody's activated a bomb. Union Jack sees it. He knows that, that they've got to get off the ship. So they're all still still fighting. And we see that Spitfire just racing towards them to get, to get back in order to, to save everyone. That's just cool how we get the countdown and the panels and all the action going on. And ultimately, of course, the boat explodes. Masterman is thrown, looks like several miles or something crazy like that in the explosion. And the heroes are left in the water. Then we get this real cool one-page scene here of 
Bucky as he's kind of assembling his weapons, watching what's going on 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 BBC television and seeing the events replay. And he's got quite a quite an assortment of of weapons. Crazed look in his eye. Yeah, yeah. Then we cut back to British Secret Service headquarters, and they're all getting dressed down by some MI5 authority for the fact that they're kind of acting a little rogue. And, of course, he comes in with Sharon Carter to kind of save their bacon and basically tells the MI5 agent that S.H.I.E.L.D.'s stepping in and you need to let these guys go and let us do our job. Then we get the next scene where it's folks are split off, so we get Spitfire and Cap, and we get Union Jack and Sharon. And it's funny that, that Union Jack even makes notice that, you know, why is it that the two super-powered people ended up teaming up together and it left the two regular, you know, non-powered folks to, to team up together, and he kind of thought that was a little odd and left them a little vulnerable. And basically Sharon's retort is, well, Cap and Spitfire are both new Bucky, so they'd be better able to kind of track him down because, you know, they would know how he thinks as opposed to them. That's kind of cool that we get... You know, then we, of course, we cut back to, to Spitfire and Steve and, and we get, you know, again, in civilian, in civilian attire. So another instance where you know, they could have just come in in costume and done their thing, but, you know, Blue Baker, you know, has them take the low-key approach and they just go in their cities. And, of course, the fight ensues. Gee, you mean they're beating people up to get information? What an exciting <laughs> yeah. and new idea. I've never seen a book before. <laughs> Was Sharon always, I don't want to say this, tough... Was she featured fighting a lot in the past before this Brubaker run? Or She's always been an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. I mean, she's always been a high-ranking agent. There was a time where she was the right hand of Nick Fury for a while. Okay. Then I guess Maria Hill kind of took over the forefront for the female S.H.I.E.L.D. Shield agent position. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been more recent. I think in the past, it's you know, Sharon has been more of a forefront character. And in recent years, it's Maria Hill's kind of taken that, you know, almost kind of taken that spot. So it's kind of funny how... Union Jack and Sharon split off, you know, to track down leads while, you know, Cap and Spitfire are going after Bucky. And it's, it, you know, of course, as as Faith as is funny in that twist, Bucky is with Sharon and Union Jack. So it would have been better if, you know, if they could just all stay together. Right. And then, of course, we get the, again, the, another flying car scene. Sharon and Spitfire are together. And, of course, we get... Like John was mentioning on the last show, we get another scene of Cap jumping from the flying car, shield, shield down, crashing through the top of some roof or riding on a building or anything else he likes to do, jumping out of flying cars or dead, you know, nice. dead airplanes or helicarriers. We didn't get the forward roll this time, but... No. But he, he did. I love how he's got, all, he's got both, both hands and both feet firmly on the shield as he crashes through and they find out that when they get there, everybody's dead. Master Man, Master Man is a little hacked off when he finally comes back to Skull, who, you know, Luke and now has the mask firmly in place. Skull pretty much tells him to just calm down because he, he's, he's made sure that he's got their attention. He's got a knack for ending issues. Yeah. You know, not necessarily a cliffhanger, you know, so to speak, but... Just enough that you're wanting more. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Definitely so. So we start 20. We're back to Sin and Crossbones. They've presumably stolen a small aircraft, and they're planning on heading heading towards London. And we cut back to, to London, and we've got Cap and Sharon hopping rooftops, and we see the Cronus building off in the distance. Now, is it just me or Earth? I mean, there are a lot of corporate logos out there, but if you see the tallest building ever and the 
and the symbol for the company is a big K with a circle on it in flame. Wouldn't that, I don't know, to me that would just say <laughs> something's not right with the picture. Yeah. I think it was Circle K. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no mechanical we... spider climbing on it, so I guess it must be okay. <laughs> actually, actually, Jim, something would definitely be afoot at the Circle K. <laughs> Welcome to Evil Co. <laughs> so Sharon and, and Cap are kind of approaching. We get Bucky again, as as always, seen skulking around in underground or in the sewers. Well, the uh, Sharon and Cap are saying, uh, uh, Cap says something. I wonder why Lucan was in the under, you know, sneaking around the, under the underground, and then they immediately switch over to Bucky, who's in the underground, and now he uh, realizes what's going on, which we'll find out later. But he's not real yeah, happy. Again, about that. Yeah, more setup where you know character realizes something and nobody else does. So I thought that was that was really cool. This is also interesting, you know, like like you had said earlier about like the Blitz and stuff. I mean, even if you know when you look at this into a World War Two, into a World War Two context, like the Nazis, you know, versus the, the British, even you know what I mean in a, in a lot of respects. This is kind of like Red Skull, you know, round two, which I just thought was a really cool tie-in. And then we get a little one-page interlude with Sharon talking to, or uh, Steve talking to Jackie, the Spitfire, and, you know, talking about their relationship and how serious it is. And is it me, or is it, I guess it's the fifth panel on that page. Does that not look like Kurt? To me, that looks totally like Kurt Russell. I don't know why. That just a little, little heavier in the face, but that looks totally like Kurt Russell. I don't know about Kurt Russell, but it, it definitely doesn't look like Steve. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. To me, if Kurt Russell had a chubby your face, that's what, <laughs> that's what he. <laughs> and a shorter haircut. Yeah. It's the Stargate. It's Stargate look. So then we get we go to the next day. There's a lot of planes buzzing around. You get all the spotlights on the Cronus building. Again, more signs that something something should something's up, and everybody knows it. We get more flying car. More flying car is always good. Then we get more Lucan, and again, you know, he's got the the. The voice of the skull in his head, and you know, every time he looks like Luke, and he looks in the mirror, he sees the skull looking back at him, and he's starting to realize that the skull's plan is is, is coming together. And I think he's starting to trust more that that the skull's not going to lead him lead him astray, and that all this stuff that he's doing um, is going to have payoff. Masterman on the Zeppelin, he's trying to get the them to turn it around and head towards Parliament so they can ostensibly blow up Parliament. Steve jumps from the flying car into the Zeppelin. Fighting ensues. I love our Captain America taunts him by saying, you know, the real Master Man was stronger. Yeah. And he has the often retort of my uncle. He was nothing compared to Oh, are you bulletproof then? <laughs> Apparently, he pretty is. Pretty close to his. He took one to the face. I love when, uh, when speedsters join the fight. You know, and you just sit there and say, man, if, if you're faster than anybody... This could have been over real quick. <laughs> if you could move that fast, they wouldn't see it coming. But it's just kind of like a comic book thing that you have to shrug off. But Yeah. She could have just tied him up really fast before any of this happened. <laughs> Where's the fun in that? I love this fight on the Zeppelin, man. It totally has an Indiana Jones thing going on. Um, it reminds me of you know the uh, Last Crusade, right? And yeah. uh, this this one splash page where uh, Master Man pulls Captain America off, you know, to fall. I mean, that, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's really well realized. Uh, there aren't too many um, 
when Epstein goes for the splash page, it's usually something really stunning. And uh, this this is one of those uh, example, you know, good example of that. Yeah, I love how when uh, we cut to Bucky, and he has he's kind of got Lucan in his sight, and he sees that you know smile in his face, and he's like, "Oh, wait a minute, something's up. This guy's there's there's something going going down." So he's got like the perfect kill shot lined up. And once he sees that, he realizes he needs to he needs to, to see what's what's up. And of course, he turns around and sees the zeppelin on fire going down. And the first thing Bucky thinks of is Cap. So I thought that was pretty cool. So now they're trying to to get everybody off safe while Cap stays behind. Of course, being the hero to take out Masterman. And of course, Masterman and Cap jump off just as the zeppelin is going to end up crashing into the Thames. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> 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 to give him a no, tease, Wiz boy. No ticket. I love that page where you, where you get um, standing crossbones and they're they're flying the plane, getting ready to you know head. They're looking to to, to cry. You know they've 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 right before the parachute out. That look on Finn's face as they're as they're flying that plane, getting ready to crash into that building is just priceless. Adios, shipwad. Right. <laughs> And then there's that whole inner dialogue with Luke, and he's like, you know, and the skull is inside of him. He's like, go ahead, push the button, push the button. Come on, push cool. the button. So again, we keep thinking, you know, again, the, the title 21st Century Blitz, we keep thinking it's going to be some sort of aerial attack. Everybody keeps thinking it's an aerial attack. So what does he do? He pushes the button, and then we see up from the ground comes this ridiculous 50s-era gigantic robot coming up through the ground, which is obviously what Bucky saw when he was... Uh, when he was down under underground, and that's how it ends. The sleeper. Yeah. We've seen these kind of robots before in variations too. Uh, the Red Skull has used them all throughout its history, even back into the uh, the World War Two stories. Yeah. Also, yeah. it's kind of a throwback to a lot of the guys in the um, in the Monster Society of Evil. I keep going back to Captain Marvel for this, I know, but I mean, think of all the crazy, you know, Fawcett comic creations. Not not to take from you know Kirby and Marvel and everything that they did, but. I mean, this could, you know, this isn't, you know, Titano or anything like that, but, you know, this could, this guy, you know, is easily from the, the Fawcett era of bad guys with the Monster Society, too. Yep. And then the cover, the 21, awesome. It's a, you know, a nice callback to, of course, the, the origin of Cap, where, you know, Cap falls off the, like, you know, rocket, and then Bucky's on it, you know, with his mechanical hand grabbing hold, just like, just like it happened all those years ago. So I thought that was a really cool, cool cover. This time is you know, London kind of burns in the background. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't pick that up, that it was a reverse of the uh, the old scene. Yeah. So then we get, of course, Humongous Monster, or Humongous Robot, I should say, running in the background. I love that that first page where you see Lucan and half his face is Lucan and half his face is the skull, and he's just trying to convince Lucan that it's all part of the plan, even destroying their own building. So a good bit of this issue is pretty much this big, you know, fight between, you know, Mastermind and Sharon and Bucky and Cap and, and the giant robot. And of course, it finally, you know, this is really what we see here, you know, as Cap and, and Bucky land on the robot. It's really the first time the two of them have been together for any, you know, at all since since Bucky disappeared and since really he's kind of had his memories back. And they make, you know, make mention, like like Jim said, of, you know, this is like the old death bot that the skull used to, used to put out there during World War II. The flying car goes down. Yeah, unfortunately. What do you get to the pod racing sequence? <laughs> then, you know, fight kind of ensues. We get, you know, Spitfire and, and Union Jack are fighting Masterman. Bucky and Cap are trying to take out the robot. 
And then we get this cool scene with Crossbones and Finn. They, they find Sharon after she's fallen off the car. She's about, Crossbones is about ready to, to put one in her head. And this voice off panel says, Agent 13, Agent 13's death isn't part of this plan, not today. So she's spared, and obviously that plays a huge part in this down the road. So again, more fighting ensues, and, and I love the scene where they, you know, they, they talk about this plan that they executed back in the war. Masterman makes a big jump for Spitfire. She, of course, moves super fast, moves out of the way, and Masterman comes crashing through the head of the big giant robot, which, you know, suffers, you know, causes this uh, great damage to it. Cap tosses Bucky a crushing grenade, you know, and, and just you know, basically tells him, look, there's no, you know, there's no time to talk. You know, we've got to take this thing out. We'll talk later. You know, Bucky jumps on there on top of the robot, throws a concussion grenade in there, and we see that Bucky just has no luck when it comes to that left arm. So he loses his, his new prosthesis as the robot goes up in a big ball of flame and crashes into the tent. That's a great half splash, I guess you would call it. I don't know. It's, it's all coloring, but I like the robot falling into the water. Yeah, yeah. Cap and Bucky watching it, and then of course Bucky disappears. There's something I've noticed that Brubaker does a lot is he'll use um, like somebody watching television to either wrap up or sum up what is going on or what has happened. Yeah, we see that here as well when they're watching the television with the you know, the Lucan and the the videotape from the Red Skull and everything else. Kind of sums everything up for the uh, the storyline going forward. Yeah, we see this great. Finally, the you know after all the speculation and everything that's going on, and this was the death of the skull. We see that this you know he decided to make it you know he saw in public and you know made made it known to the world you know what's going on. And it's cool that you know again knowing what's coming up that the last you know panel where basically Luke and, you know blames the heroes for everything that's going on. You know again to kind of feed into that whole upcoming civil war thing. You know and, and says it's you know the masks and you know whether working alongside the law or against. It, you know, can be allowed to to bring us terror no more. So he's you know from banning the flames to the whole you know upcoming super Reg- hero registration act on top of you know the skull, you know making making it himself you know back in the forefront. So I thought that was interesting. How you know really the same person, but again you know the skull's plan and the whole banning of the flames. Beautiful irony, him him telling everybody that masks will terror terrorize people no more. Yeah, yeah. My favorite is the next page where Bucky is calling Fury from the train station uh, trying to arrange an extraction. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, and at the end of the call, he's like, oh, and one more thing, Fury. I'm going to need a new arm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one that doesn't have a wire attached to it. Can you do something about that? So again, we get to the last page, and Lucan is getting dressed. And of course, as always, when he looks at something reflective, he sees the skull head looking back at him. And now we've kind of all come full circle, and Crossbones and Sin are fully in on the plan, and now they realize that, you know, they're all one big happy family. So the next issue begins the Civil War issues, isn't that correct? That's right. 22, 23, and 24 actually make up the, the Civil War trade, um, which are after 25, the first issues I went back and read. And, uh, yeah, it picks up after um, Civil War number one and what's going on there and New Avengers and other titles. So, uh, yeah, Civil Let me War. Ask you, yeah. Let me ask you a question real quick and just, like, um, now that we've got a little hindsight on the uh, the event itself, uh, the only thing I ever really read of Civil War, other than these Cap issues, were, was the, the core uh, miniseries. And I thought it was just okay, not great. Uh, what did you guys think of Civil War? I saw Civil War in context of... I guess everybody saw it in context of the characters they read 
along with the main title. So to me, you know, it was all about Spider-Man and Peter Parker. He was the centerpiece of all of Civil War for me with his unmasking, switching sides, where he had Cap representing the, the resistance and uh, Tony representing the establishment, the, the Registration Act. He had Peter in the middle. So um, I never read the Cap issues during, during Civil War. I went back to those later for a couple of reasons just because I wanted to read because I said I, before I wasn't reading Cap at that point. You know, so I enjoyed the it for what it was. You know, more so like with like with Secret Invasion, it was just as that was more a setup for what was to come. You know, with what's going on right now with Dark Avengers, Civil War really felt, you know, like this was going to change, and it did end up changing the the Marvel the Marvel universe for well, not for, maybe not for good or bad, depends on your point of view. But it didn't feel like it was setting something else up next. It was really just uh, doing whatever it was doing for. For itself, it was a good story. Short answer, long way to get there is I, I did like it. You know, with these extra titles like the Cap or you know Black Panther or whatever. If you were into those characters, go ahead and read them. Like like the Iron Man Civil War and the Captain America Civil War to me didn't impact Civil War proper, at least not nearly as much as I felt the Amazing Spider-Man stories did. But they give you more of an idea of what. In this case, Steve Rogers and company were up to during that time. It's interesting to me that these two issues leading up to you know the big uh, twenty-five. You know, this issue is pretty much all Sharon, and then the second issue or the second Civil War issue is almost all Bucky. And um, again, where some uh, somebody else might have just written a fill-in issue with Sharon, kind of recapping everything, kind of talking about it with her psychiatrist or whatever. Brubaker takes it to the next level and not only has that story but also sets other things in motion that we see later. Yeah, and I think that makes sense because when you think about it, Cap is in hiding, for more or less. He, he's off the radar. He's working in secret as part of the, uh, the New Avengers, as part of the uh, Resistance. So uh, it makes sense he wouldn't be up in center, front and center in uh, this main title. Uh, it is as much about Sharon, especially with what we learn about Sharon and what she's been going through leading up to 25 and in the issues right after 25, even up to right now uh, with what's going on in Cap. So it, it kind of makes sense. And considering where Bucky ends up, you know, you know we really need to spend some time to kind of catch up with these guys and see, and see where they're at. But uh, having Steve's absence in here uh, really makes a lot of sense when you look at the big picture of Civil War. I liked Civil War. I remember being excited when it happened. I guess it was one of the earlier events that I got into after returning to comics. I didn't think it was great when it happened or or how it ended. You know, I always I still thought it was bizarre. I thought it was a great twist, but I thought it was bizarre that Marvel chose to end Civil War and then kill Cap after where it probably would have been an awesome last issue for Civil War for Cap to be shot. But that being said, I love where it got us. I mean, they're, they're still telling Civil War stories now. You know, you know to that end, um, when I did my bindings for Civil War, I ended it with like the death of Cap and the confession. But I can see now in the world of Captain America why that wasn't part of Civil War, because it really was part of the bigger arc Brubaker was going for especially in hindsight with, with, with 600 and now Cap Reborn, it, it doesn't really make sense to put it in there because it, while the end of Civil War gave the opportunity for him to be in the, in the open and basically unprotected, it wasn't as much a result of Civil War that he, he was shot. So it, it, it was a symbol of the end of Civil War and the end of an era and the, the, like this, this beginning of the Superhero Registration Act, but it, um, as part of the bigger Cap picture, had nothing to do with Civil War. Absolutely, but you would think that they all knew in the room that 
the death of Captain America was, was being planned. So you'd think that they'd plan it for something that happened in Civil War rather than... Or maybe it was Brubaker's thing. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, out, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's exactly the point. It, it wasn't because of, you know, now here we are, however many, four or five years later almost, you know, and we're still talking about the death of Captain America now, the return, keeping it at that moment separate from Civil War uh, keeps, keeps the death portion kind of clean. You know, because if we look back at it now, let's say it was part of Civil War and it was in the Civil War main title. Yeah, I mean, you can still do what you're doing now, but I don't think it would have as much impact. This this is Brubaker's story. You can go through and read all these Cap issues from beginning to end. You know, never read Civil War, and his death makes sense as part of the bigger Captain America story. If that death wasn't it was in Cap, it was in uh, excuse me, in Civil War seven or eight, whatever the last one was, and you're going through reading Brubaker's omnibus and you never never see the death of, death of Captain America except maybe in reference. Yeah, you know, it's going to lose something. So in hindsight, being 2020, in hindsight, I think they did it exactly the way they should have. Right. I guess at the time, nope. I was hoping for more out of Civil War, right. not knowing what was coming up in 25. It, true. That makes sense. Um, but just my point, I mean, you know, because of Civil War, Tony Stark becomes the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because Tony Stark's the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, we get the whole secret invasion, World War Hulk. I mean, everything has really come out of Civil War. That everything that has happened since then has come out of Civil War in terms of big events. You know? True. Yeah. So I'm yeah. happy with I'm happy with that. If I can say that, I mean, how many years later are we talking now? Three or, or four? I, I don't know what it is, but you know, it, we complain all the time about events and they suck our money up and it doesn't really have any consequences. Well, this definitely has. You're right. Yes, I'm I'm happy saying that I spent my money on Civil War. How many years later and they've used it to build off of. Right. You know, now they haven't used World War Hulk to build off anything, you know, <laughs> but Civil War, I'm happy. Maybe everything that came out of it wasn't so great, but at least things are coming out of it. I, as an event, I thought it, I was definitely more positive than negative. Number one, I thought the art was just gorgeous. Um, you know, McNiven and, you know, Dexter Bynes and Maury Hollowell and, and you know, Noir on the, on the story. I thought the art was just fantastic. I mean, it was just a very well done, you know, book art wise. The delays, I didn't get too caught up in that. I mean, you know, yeah, it was a little bit late, but it wasn't, you know, ridiculously late, you know, by any stretch. I think it caused a little bit of heartburn on some of the books. But I think the story overall is something that, you know, if you think about it in the context of the real world, I mean, not that, you know, I mean, we aren't talking about funny books here, but, you know, if you think about it, how long would really the world go on allowing heroes to, you know, name, kill, destroy, you know, be the, the cause or the result of all this destruction. So I thought it was it was kind of something that, you know, one of those things where, you know, you would have thought by now that somebody would have done it. So the fact that they wanted to register heroes and control it and not let these guys just kind of run amok is a very, you know, kind of real-worldish thing to, to happen. So I thought the, the premise was, you know, was pretty pretty ingenious. And I thought, you know having the heroes take sides and, you know, kind of putting the, you know, villains to the background for a change and have hero fighting hero. Um, and the way, you know, that the primary lines are drawn between Cap and between Tony and all the stuff that brought up, you know, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion, you know, about the legitimacy of, of which side Cap fell on it. You know, some, some folks, you know, were, were griping because it felt like, well, Cap is a character and, you know, he represents America and law and order and everything else. And if that's the rule of the law, 
then you know he, he would follow it, and then there are others saying no, he believes in the principles of what America is, and you know, and there's been times in the past when he's disagreed with you know the government and the politics and everything else, and kind of taken himself out from it. So this fit with that. Um, so I think it was kind of cool that it brought up a lot of debate and a lot of you know people were talking about you know which side they fell on, and the whole underground thing I thought was really cool that you know the New Avengers were kind of the underground team, and the, you know and the Mighty Avengers were the you know the legitimate team, and it brought about the initiative and all that kind of stuff. So I I. I thought it was really good. I think the problem with it was, in general, was it just kind of felt flat. You know, I think in the end, I think a lot of people were just kind of disappointed that we had to build up, build up, build up. And in the end, it was just, you know, Cap just kind of looks around and sees the you know, public turning against them. And that's kind of the catalyst and the destruction, you know, that, that rained on it at the end to just kind of surrender. I think the little people kind of, you know, people kind of thought that was the, you know, the weak sauce. But I think people's opinions changed when... You know, it ended up being that, you know, Cap was shot after the fact. So I think, you know, again, Cap 25 is kind of the, the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. And I think, I think in a way it was kind of cool because it took everybody by surprise. I mean, um, nobody really saw that coming. I mean, I, in a way, I think you, you should have, you know, going back and looking at the book and the arc and the way things were building up to something big. And, you know, 24 at the end was called The Death of the Dream. You know, all those things should have, should have kind of told you something big was happening. Not in the fact that at the end of the Civil War, nothing really big happened, other than you know Cap turning himself in. I think should have been a clue that there was more to the story. That's just you know kind of where where I stand on it. Yeah, I think it was a great event. You know, had some long-lasting effects, kind of like you know Secret Invasion for, for different reasons. So that's kind of my take on it. But I mean, you're right. I mean, Marvel. You know, they're about to make another how many million dollars off of Civil War. I mean, that's the entire plot to. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2 that's going to be coming out on the um, consoles in a couple weeks. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. they're, they're definitely riding high on the hog with this one. Yeah, it definitely says something for its lasting uh, effect on the universe. It's still relevant. These issues are pretty uh, interesting, though, even though they are tie-ins. And Cap isn't really front and center. I mean, 22, you get Sharon. Not only do you find out how conflicted she is, uh, for feelings for Cap and whatnot, but you also find out that there's another player in the game while working with the Red Skull uh, to subvert her, which is uh, Doctor Faustus. He's pretty well known as a um, superhero or supervillain who's most of, uh, most of his powers are based on uh, hypnosis and uh, suggestion. Uh, at least that's the way he was portrayed in the uh, the older comics, and it kind of made it, so it totally makes sense that he would be the one uh, who is kind of uh, programming uh, Sharon now. And then 23, you get Bucky uh, pretty much just talking to Nick Fury and then uh, being tracked down by uh, Cape Killers himself. Yep. I mean, more than that, both of those, you're getting the setups for um, the infiltration by, by two different sides into, uh, into S.H.I.E.L.D. You've got uh, you know, Red Skull using uh, Maria, or not Maria, excuse me, Sharon, to uh, infiltrate in there to use her. And, and we find out other agents later on. But Fury is using Bucky to get in there, and he's injecting this... Uh, He's basically going to take control of one of his own life model decoys so he can, you know, basically have eyes inside S.H.I.E.L.D. or at least another set of eyes. In fact, I believe that that LMD is going to have a conversation, not in Cap, but maybe in, uh, in Civil War proper um, with Maria, which will lead up to the eventual uh, line in Secret Invasion when Maria says she's going to get a T-shirt and it's going to say Fury was right. <laughs> I like the issue. I'm, I'm not sure if it's 23 or 24 where uh, they do the whole body double bit with Fury, like the... the uh, the robot, and he's kind of talking to Bucky through the yeah, like, hologram. Yeah, it's 23, I believe. That's what I'm Yeah, saying. that's just great spy, you know, espionage. What, what, you know, what 
espionage story is any good without a body double. LMDs are always always been part of a cap that I know of. Yeah, they've been around Shield forever too. I think uh, they were created in the '60s during the Nick Fury yeah. Shield. Yeah. yeah. Do you think uh, you know for keeping Fury hidden so long in, in the books and stuff, and of course this predates Civil War? Uh, do you think that when he finally came back in Secret Evasion, that it was an honest to goodness good comic moment? You know, of course he had the giant gun, and you can you know talk about that to the cows come home. But I guess like. Did they keep him off the board, and did they bring him back in a in a really really good effective way? I mean, because the whole "Where's Nick Fury?" I mean, that was its own, I guess, unsaid mini. I don't want to call it an event, you know what I mean? But like undercurrent of a lot of the books that were going on, you know, with Avengers uh, and 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 Cap, to just to name a few. Let alone the the impact on Civil War and and Bucky's character. He's kind of like the bot of the 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 Charlie of the Marvel Universe for a while, you know, kind of this disembodied voice that would come through a phone or a speaker or a hologram or whatever, you know, nobody actually saw him, they just heard him. So I, I my opinion is I think they, I thought it was cool to take Fury out of play as director of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, a, a position he'd held for a very long time. Right, right. Um, and, they, and they kept him away. And I, I think Secret Invasion was, the, in my mind, was the perfect time to bring him back. Because, you know, especially, you know, when we found those issues where we found out what he was up to during that time, and he was kind of building his own team of people that were clean. You know, he knew for a fact they weren't scrolls, and he was doing all this work to make sure he built this team and brought these folks together and kept an eye on what everybody was doing. And he, you know, had a, had a pretty good clue as to who was and who wasn't. So I thought it was pretty cool to, to bring him back at that, you know, during the Secret Invasion. Yeah, I agree. That's the hammer. Yeah. I agree that it was a good moment to bring him back, definitely. They they did start to play out his cameos, you know, like Russ was saying, showing up here and there in a phone call, a hologram. I think he was dealing a lot with, was it Spider-Woman in New Avengers when she was like double agent, triple agent with the hand and different things. And I think I think he talked with Miss Marvel a lot and Mighty Avengers. So they kind of started to, I'm glad they did it when they did because they were starting to play out you know, even that he, even though he was gone, he was having contact with a lot of people there for a while. Yeah, he was definitely pulling the strings of, uh, of, of a variety of heroes, trying to direct everything and keep an eye on what's going on. And the way during Secret Invasion, they started to give us a little bit more of what he was doing. You know, when he wasn't talking to those those people, and when he learned about the Skrull invasion and you know, and and all that, uh, it, it all worked out. And you know, I don't know how much of it they, you know, wrote later on or how much. They knew from the very beginning when Fury disappeared how they're going to play, how it was going to play out. But it was uh, whatever they, it worked out. It was uh, it was fun for me. Is anybody reading the Secret Warrior stuff that he's involved with now? No, I'm you know in general I'm a pretty big Fury fan, but I don't know just something about that mix of characters just didn't really appeal to me. So I kind of I kind of skipped out on that. Yeah, besides Fury, it didn't. The team didn't do much for me, so I. I was thinking about getting the trade, but I think my order was like too big that month or whatever. I never ended up getting it. You know, looking through these issues, uh, get back to Cap here. The end of uh, 23, we're having Red Skulls talking with Dr. Doom. This is, we're not going to see anything with Doom until 600, and, and now what's going on with Reborn, right? This was, but this is the moment where it kind of puts everything into motion with the death of Cap, right? Yeah, that's, that's how I took it. Right, and they're digging now. I gotta, I gotta, I need some help here on this one. They're digging for was it like one of 
it was like a time machine, right? Well, well, right here, this in the last page here, the like middle panel here, where you just kind of see Doom's face. In his eyes, once, right? He says, like, the device will be delivered to Kronos Labs at your home base. It will be good for one use only. And, you know, I guess I guess that's that's the machine they had Sharon trapped to, which she sabotaged. But that's the thing that's supposed to bring, I guess, Cap Spirit back. Um, at least based on what little we've learned from Rebirth at this, or Reborn at this point. A little Freudian slip there. Bringing a lot of characters back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of, I guess we're kind of taking the speed approach in some ways to 23, 20, or 22, 23, 24, because it is so tied into Civil War, and I think a lot of the high points we've touched on and talking about Civil War are, are the high points of, the, of these three issues for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of recap of Civil War. There's a lot of things, you know, that we see in these three issues that we also kind of saw in the, in the Civil War mini. But for me, I guess each book kind of has like a big revelation moment to it. And the first one, you know, Jim kind of mentioned earlier was that Dr. Faustus is the therapist that Sharon was seeing that that's going to play huge later on in 23. The big one we see, you know, we get is that, you know, the skull has gotten this device from doom and has been in contact with doom. And in 24, the big one is, you know, that we find out that Arnim Zola, you know, has come into to the picture as well. So in each one kind of at the end, we get, you know, we get this big, you know, something big that happens. You know, I guess the thing with this, these uh, two doom pages is just to jump back to DC and Green Lantern real, qu- real quick. In the in the beginning of the Green Lantern main run, we get these couple pages as the Sinestro Corps is starting to, to kind of build, and we meet Atroscus for for the first time. It, it, we never see him again until Sinestro Corps War. You almost forget about him. I, I completely forgot about these Doom pages. Um, honestly, until right now when I read them again for this show, even when they start bringing Doom and Doom Tech into uh, Captain America Reborn. And the nature of that gun Sharon uses twenty five that we'll find in a few issues. I completely forgot about these about these pages, but you know, here's something that he set that's been set up. You know, then that we're not going to see for you know twenty five plus more issues to go. Yeah, very I mean, cool. You look at the last three books. He's ended with Faustus, with Doom, and then with uh, with Arnim freaking Zola. I mean, that's like the one two three punch of. What in God's name is the skull coming up with? You know, I mean, let's put it this way. I know there's S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that other good stuff and Union Jack and everybody. But you had those guys plus the skull, plus the Cosmic Cube, plus Sin and Crossbones. And at this point, like, and I know we'll get Batrock the Leaper in a few issues, right? <laughs> but, like, there's definitely a lot more bad guys on the table than there are good guys. Yeah. It makes you feel good when you catch things like that, like the Doom stuff and the, you know. Just that there's a plan. You know what I mean? Like, we always we keep going back to Lost, but, you know, you'd be really ticked off if you found out they were making it up as they went along. So it makes you feel like you're investing your time well when you look back and find something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, money. Like I was saying at the, uh, the beginning of the show, he, you know, Brubaker's putting all the pieces on the board. They're all lining up. All these things are lining up. And then finally in 25, we get the payoff. You know, to what he's been leading up to this whole time. So here we are, 25, the big one, all the hype. And, I mean, this was probably, and since, the most hype book event, probably since, like, the death of the return of Superman. I mean, yep. this was, like, mainstream news, made it everywhere. You had people rushing to the comic shop that never go in the comic shop, most of them, I'm sure, thinking they were just going to be able to buy it and flip it on eBay. You know, I, I wasn't able, day one, to get a copy of this the shop sold out but they had more on order so I think the day after I was able to go in and and get 
they 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 had enough. Luckily, at the LCS I go to, I got one copy each of the first printing, and then when the second printing came out, I got it. So I was able to get it and read it. And just I was really upset with the fact that I wasn't reading Cap after reading this issue because I I thought you know I I kind of bought you know bought into the hype, but it worked. You know, it got me really invested in Brubaker as a writer in the story he was telling, um, and, and this is what really brought me into the cap. So walk me through the day this comes out, because Ken kind of asked this when we did Sinister Core War, were you guys waiting in line or whatever? Because my question to you guys that, you know, we're reading it and stuff is, obviously, you know, the ending was a shock, but, like, did you know that this was going to be a big issue? And did the mainstream media, did they pick up on this that day or a day after? Because it was I was that day. I was totally, totally, totally clueless as to any nobody, of this. Nobody knew from what I can tell. No one knew this was coming. It was on the news that morning. Um, I said this story in multiple places, but I'll say it again here. I was in the hospital. This, is the, this came out the day my son was born. I was waiting to go in the delivery room when I got a text message from my friend saying they killed Captain America. And I had five minutes to text back and forth to find out what the heck was going on. And uh, by the time I got to the LCS later that day, and yes, I did go to the LCS the same day my son was born, but you know, long I was after. gonna say, did wait until your kid was born? <laughs> yes, it was long after you know, he was well sold out. But I got I got a copy of the first printing the following week, kind of like kind of like Russ did. But uh, I knew immediately that you know where what happened to Cap, his his spirit is safe inside my son as we speak right now. He's he's resting upstairs sleeping. So uh, one day he will be Captain America. Uh, but we had no idea this was coming, and it uh, I don't know if. You know how shops ordered this if they got a heads up, but either way, it, it was it was a nightmare. I've probably well, I don't want to say I probably the best story because I don't know everybody's story, but um, I have a good story. I had no idea, and I wasn't reading Captain America, uh, but I was reading Civil War, and my LCS at the time was throwing Civil War tie-ins into my, you know, into my box, which. I've complained about this type of thing all the time. Like, you know, like the the reason, one of the reasons I left the LCS was they were always pushing tie-ins and stuff. And then I feel bad that I got to take things out of my box and put them back on the shelf, whatever. So I walk in and he pulls my folder or whatever. And he's like, oh, one of the lucky ones, like kind of like a half snod. Like I could have sold this for 80 bucks and I have to give it to you for $3. Like that's what I was yeah, reading into it anyway. Right, right. And I, and I had no idea. So I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I'm like thinking I'm not getting the joke or whatever. And I'm flipping through the books and like, I'm like, Captain America, I swear to God, I almost go, you know, I don't read Captain America. You know, you sure this is my folder or whatever? And I'm looking at the cover and uh, now I hear like other people talking around me and stuff. And and I even hear one guy like, oh, he got one like that type of thing. (laughs) So I just paid, you know, <laughs> I handed over my whatever money it was. Thanks a lot. Uh, you know, see you next week type thing. I walk out and I open it in the car and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> well, a week before was the final issue of the Civil War proper. So that's when, when, when Steve surrendered, he was arrested. And that was my first response to that message was, what are you talking about? They killed him. They just arrested him. He, that, that's all. You know, it's like, no, no, Cap 25. I'm like, so, so I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, I, I know. You, I know what you mean about the the, the tie-ins. So, do we want to get going on it? Let's go. Yeah. So, so the issue proper, we kind of get you know again, which has been told time and time again. We get the the origin of Cap, and and just like everything else we've mentioned before, in black and white because it is a flashback. We get the invaders, and then we cut to the current 
you know, current day. And, and like we mentioned before, too, we get the newscast to kind of tell us the story. So we get the, you know, again, it's, it, you know, the, the first few pages of this, of this is pretty much a Civil War recap where they're talking about registration, the fact that Cap surrendered, and then we get to the courthouse where he's going to be arraigned because he's tired, turned himself in. And it's typical like anything else. We get a bunch of folks that think he should be freed, a bunch of folks that he should be tried, um, and that he's a traitor and all this other kind of stuff. And we see that, you know, Sharon is there to kind of keep an eye on security and Bucky's there. And then we get this kind of interesting flashback where Sharon kind of relays the first time she saw him and how her aunt was, you know, fought with him, you know, in the resistance or whatever in the war and was in love with him. And that's kind of weird that you're, you're involved with your aunt's ex-lover. But anyway, whatever. We get a cool panel up at the top of Batrock the Leaper, you know, how can you not love Batrock the Leaper? And just kind of, you know, Sharon's, you know, just kind of, just, you know, brief sum up of Sharon's history with, you know, with Steve and, you know, from the beginning and up until now and just her feelings for him and everything else. We get Bucky, you know, standing outside, keeping an eye on stuff. And then they wheel, you know, of course they wheel tap out. And then Bucky has his flashbacks and, um, you know, it's, it's like he's almost like upset because it's like, the, you know, the world is forgetting. Everyone's forgetting what he sacrificed and what he was able to do and how heroic he was. And, you know, and then, you know, obviously they show when they liberated some of the death camps and how compassionate he was. Um, so he's, you know, he's kind of got the swirl of emotions going on about how they're persecuting this guy that's, you know, given up so much and done so much for, um, for freedom, for his country, for, for everything. And that uh, he even has you know, somebody throws a tomato at his face and they're, they're bringing him up there. And even as beaten down, because, you know, presumably this is immediately after Civil War. So, you know, he's, he surrendered after this big fight. You know, not much time to take him place. And, you know, he even sees, even in that condition, and the skull even comments on it on the following page, and they watch it live, that he's spotted the sniper. And they can't believe that as, as bad a shape as he's in, that, you know, and, and, you know, physically and mentally, that he's able to still pick out the fact that, you know, there's, there's a sniper out there. So, of course, Cap goes to do the heroic thing, you know, push the, the guard out of the way so he isn't caught in the crossfire, and he takes one right, you know, right to the back and to the chest. Of course, everybody freaks out. We see another gun in his gut, and then we just see three shots fired. And then we get the awesome panel that's been pretty much splayed everywhere, is Cap laying on the ground, still handcuffed with bullet wound Sharon Carter over him. Of course, Cap being Cap, he's still worried about the crowd and the people and making sure they're safe and not about him. And he pretty much passes on. I guess the plan, not that any of this matters, but I guess the plan was to shoot someone in security to cause the commotion that would let Sharon make her move. And it ended up hitting Cap the first time. Maybe. Yeah, that's fine. That could that's be, yeah. Yeah. Because for a sniper, you know, he's not going to be that far off. You know, he's not, yeah. he, not going to be uh, aimed on the back of a police officer in front of Cap. He's going to be able to pinpoint better than that. So not that that matters, really, but you, you could say that the sniper, you know, if, it ever tried, if they ever tried to pin in on who the first shooter was, that's not what he was supposed to be doing. But again, it really is irrelevant. But yeah, it's kind of hard for me to look back at this issue now with with what we know now about the death of Cap. But you're right. Now that you think about it, you know, he, he, the sniper would be have the dot on Cap's back and not the guards, unless he was either trying to deliberately get Cap's attention, 
banking on him doing what he did to take take the bullet, um, or as you said, this set up a commotion to allow Sharon to get right in. Knowing what we know now, that seems logical because you know what we know of the nature of that gun Sharon actually uses. Yeah. Now at this point in the book, we don't even know that Sharon's directly involved yet. Right. Yeah. We just get. You know, she's up there, and then, of course, we get Falcon and Bucky that are making a beeline. He's getting instruction from Fury. Of course, Falcon goes to the to the spot of the sniper and immediately, you know, thinks that it might be Bucky. He convinces him otherwise. And then the two of them take off after the killer while they load Steve up on the ambulance. And they find out that it, you know, Crossbone is on the helicopter. And I yeah. love how Cam Bucky just pulls out the gun and starts shooting the helicopter without regard for anything. Right as it goes down. And I love how they just happen to crash through the uh, registration sign of Iron Man saying registration is the law. <laughs> yeah, this is, again, you know, um, we talked about it last Captain America show. This is really the roots of, and at this point in the book, it's not the roots anymore. It's full-blown Tony is the jerk of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. They've been working on this for a long time, um, and he still hasn't recovered. No. Which, again, is to the credit of Civil War and the whole... You know the vision of the vision of the whole thing. I mean, they're heavily yeah. pumping out Iron Man movies and merchandise and stuff right now, and they still have him in the comic books as the bad guy on the run. You know. Yeah. I was glad they uh, featured Sam Wilson so prominently in here. Again, I, I'm a big fan of the Falcon, and he was tied to Cap for so long. It makes total sense that he would be here in this moment. Yeah. And I thought, you know, again, having this been my jump-on point for Cap for this arc going back and reading the earlier issues and seeing Finn come in and this whole, you know, page in the sequence where she's in the scrubs on the top of that building um, and how that comes to play later. It, you know, she's putting the wig on and everything totally makes sense. Where at the time, you know, it was just, to me, it was out of context and I didn't, I didn't quite get, you know, what that was all about. So, so it was kind of cool that, you know, she, she goes in there into the hospital and then she's, you know, grieving over the fact that Cap's pretty much dead you know, we get a little little spot of the Falcon kind of having his little mini flashback to when him and Cap were teamed up and, and partners, you know, back in the day and, you know, how he's, you know, saying, you know, hey, you know, he can't be bad, he's Captain America. And, of course, Sharon freaks out. The nurse walks in, and I thought this was awesome, where he just goes, he, he says, remember, and her eyes kind of roll in the back of her head. And then we get the ultimate reveal, you know, that Sharon was the shooter that pumped the, the, the last three bullets into him. I wasn't really sure at that point. I thought it was like some kind of trick to just make her, you know, I don't know. I, I thought they were they were like implanted memories or they had, uh, you know, they had hypnotized her or whatever they did. Like, I wasn't convinced that that was true. I thought that it was just being used to screw her up bad. Yeah, I kind of figured out immediately, immediately it was a uh, like a trigger word to allow her to remember what really happened that it was suppressed. So I believe she really did it. I also immediately began to get the idea that, okay, even though this is a big issue, it's the death of Captain America, that's not where the story is. The story is here. That's why it ended at this point. And uh, that's where I started buying Captain America monthly. Uh, like you, John, I was not reading it at this point. So it's from this point forward I, I, I started buying it monthly and reading it because uh, you know I, I wanted to see how they're going to bring Cap back, which I'm, you know, we're still technically waiting for. And I've for for over a year, it it was it, it was one of the best comics I was reading, and the title character wasn't even there. And eventually, you know, there was a Captain America, and it was still very very good. 
but I, I immediately got the sense that there's more to this than just Captain America died, and I wanted to know what it was. Plus, we find out why uh, the Red Skull brought in Faustus, and this is the payoff for that. Yeah, Brubaker set up earlier. Yeah, I just the one thing I thought was weird was you know after this you know moving forward they talk about the sniper, and it always just seemed weird to me because there were more shots fired after the sniper shot. Mm-hmm. I would think that. Forensics and ballistics would be, you know, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much in. I know it's just a funny book, but, you know, wouldn't they be able to tell that it was, he was shot again at close range, you know, because she pretty much shot him point, point, point. It just seemed weird that they were convinced there was only one shooter and, you know, there'd be different caliber guns and all that other kind of stuff. So that, they, uh, to my knowledge, they haven't really ever explained that, um, you know, or tried to explain it away, I guess. And I guess now it's pretty much a moot point anyway. Right. It was just kind of one of those things that, that of anything that bugged me, that was what bugged me. Yeah, I'm looking at the, uh, trying to take a good look at the uh, the gun Sharon's holding, and uh, it, it doesn't really look like a typical sidearm you, you would expect, but nor does it look that out of the ordinary, out of the ordinary that I wouldn't have, I would have picked up on that, you know, on the first look through, again, knowing what I know now. So, uh, yeah, you know, they, they, they even set up then that this wasn't, your typical, you know, Glock or whatever. Yeah. So then Cap became the, uh, you know, again, we talk about it became a more, in, in a lot of people's mind, a much more interesting book with, without Steve Rogers than in some ways it, it was when it had Steve Rogers. I think having Bucky become Cap was pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point, but I think it was a cool choice. I think redesigning the costume was, was probably, you know, was fine for me. I mean, if you're going to have a different guy playing Cap, you know, redesign the costume a little bit, that's fine. So that brings us to... End of our odyssey of Captain America's issues 1 through 25, which compiles the first omnibus, with the second omnibus coming, which oddly enough starts with 25 and goes through, I guess it's uh, 42 or 44, the end of, of uh, the, 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 the th- I guess the three arcs that made up the, uh, the death of Captain America set up here. Are they going to include the, uh, the Fallen Sun? Uh, miniseries in that as well, do you know? Wasn't that what uh, it was called, the miniseries with the different uh, Marvel characters? Yeah, The Fallen kind of- Sun, it was. It actually basically mirrored the uh, the stages I of grief and uh, used different characters uh, dealing with the death of Cap as the uh, as the vehicle to tell that story. I think that was that was Jeff Lowe, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah and and a lot, and I think a lot of people really looked at that, and I don't know for sure if this is something that he did, but that was as much about Jeff with his son as it was about Captain America as well, it seemed. And a lot of people say that was one of the best books he he had written um, in recent times. And that, that could be true if that if that's one of the his motivations behind it. No, yeah, it was, it was actually, you know, we haven't been maybe as kind to Jeff Loeb in the last couple of years as, as, um, as some. But, um, but that was definitely Loeb at the top of his game writing. Um, those were awesome issues. But... To answer your question, Jim, I'm not sure if that's going to be included in the second omnibus or not. I don't, I don't remember if it is or it isn't. If it, if it's, since it originally wasn't part of the the main cap title, I would be surprised if it was included. But you never know. Yeah, I think it was just twenty. I think it's twenty five through forty seven. I think is what is what that one's going to make up. But anyway, yeah, I think forty seven is the one that ends uh, Bucky's first full arc as Cap, I believe. And after that, he's pretty well accepted himself into that role, I believe. I think I'm trying to remember correctly if that's where it is or not. Yeah, I think that's the last part of that. What is it? I think the third act 
of the death of Captain America was the man was it the man who brought America the man who stole America the man who bought America I forget the the exact yeah I'm not sure I think that's the last I, I think 48 picks up um, after Secret Invasion maybe because because the cap cap main title itself did not touch on Secret Invasion it kind of went on its own thing doing right. the story with Bucky and then 47 I think ended right around when Secret Invasion ended so then it picked up with Bucky fully comfortable in you know wearing the the uniform and the shield carrying the shield in this new new order I, I again I'm trying to remember back to that no I think I think you're you're right okay so I think gentlemen that takes us to the end of our odysseys anybody else have any final thoughts closing closing thoughts words it's a lot to swallow in one reading I think I had mentioned I, I snagged the omnibus from DCBS um, at the Super Show and it, this is very dense. I mean, if if you just take the omnibus as a format, you know, and compare it to just other books that we've talked about on the show, I mean, geez, man, the amount of stuff you can cram into one oh. of these omnibi is, oh, yeah. is out of this world. And, you know, as, as crazy as it was reading, you know, New Frontier or, or, or I'm looking at my shelf right now, Watchmen or what I'm doing right now, Sandman, in, in, an, om, in an absolute edition, I mean, this omnibus is, is far, far and beyond, you know, a reading experience. I mean, this isn't just a, you know, a one dump read. <laughs> you, oh, yeah. This thing, uh, you know, this, this, will, well, that's what, that's what, um, Joe Casada called preacher, which is why I say that, um, you know, this is something that, you know, you can really have, you know, and, and I really, you know, put a lot of value in. I mean, Marvel really does a great job of putting these together. And, um, for the ones that I've seen other to this, like the fantastic four volumes one and two, I mean, they're really well put together too. And, um, you know, one thing I'd also like to add is, you know, I'm a sucker for like DVD extras and stuff like that. The amount of bonus stuff that they put in the back, like all the pages from the Handbook to the Marvel Universe, or all the anniversary issues, or the annuals, or the or the Bucky quote unquote specials, let alone the breakdowns and the interviews from from Marvel to Brubaker and, and Epting and whatnot. I mean, it's a pretty phenomenal package. Top to bottom. I agree. Well, I guess at some point down the road, maybe after the second omnibus comes out and our schedule clears up, we'll probably hit this up again and talk about the Bucky arc and, and go through that and omnibus two. And, but we'll probably be starting with 26 and not rehashing 25 again, I'm sure. So I guess that, that about does it for the, for the evening, gentlemen. Right on. Sounds good. Next week we have uh, Adam. You're going to be leading us in All-Star Superman, correct? Yeah, it's going to be big, crazy Grant Morrison talk. Awesome, awesome. Let everybody know for the All Star Superman Volume Two what, what's Absolutely coming up afterward. Will. Absolutely will. And you can check the website and all that other good stuff. Yep. Send us an email at comments at legionofdudes.com. Send us a voicemail. Visit the website legionofdudes.com where you can find all of our episodes, all of the episodes of our sister podcast, Half Hour Wasted. Their show comes out every Monday morning. Um, all of their episodes are archived there as well. We have tons of audio blogs, regular blogs. You can go check out, um, as we mentioned earlier, Mr. Umac's award-winning video of him singing and performing. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Man, you earned, you earned it. Yes. Good for yes. you. Good for you. Always uh, something new on the website. Legion of Dudes, www.legionofdudes.com. Check it out. Thanks awesome. again for Podcast of the Week uh, from the Fix Sign Out. That's awesome. Absolutely. Get a plaque and put that on my wall. Yeah. Yeah, have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. It's times like this it occurs to me we were lied to by the Jetsons.
What are you talking about? According to that show, we were supposed to be tooling around in flying cars by now. You see any flying cars lately? That's the problem with TV. It always lies to us. Yeah, well, most of us rational thinkers weren't banking on a cartoon to offer us a viable glimpse into the future of technological development. You don't think anyone anywhere is working on the flying car? <sighs> I could care less. I gotta believe there's somebody else out there thinking about the flying car besides me. strangest dream. I flew away from Oa with a little ring on my finger. And you said you had to stay real green. Didn't want me to help you. What does that mean? And I say, ain't nothing gonna break your will. Nobody gonna train my how. Oh no, I got to stay a villain. Ain't nothing gonna break your will. Your daddy Martin's buried underground. Oh no, I got to stay a villain. You're on the road with Ollie. Well, he's a blast. Are things with Carol Rocky? I know.